0: Jung says one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the
1: darkness conscious. He follows me down the dark streets of my mind. I hear his footsteps follow closely behind. He plays with my thoughts, lives in my dreams. He's a seductive voice that calls to me, whispering that I need to be free. He's the darkness that stirs inside of me. He's the deviant shadow nobody sees. Christy Anne Martin.
0: There's a start to (laughs) a podcast. So, hi, I'm Christy Mack and the terrifying (laughs) poem was read by the wonderful.
1: Jim McNeish.
0: And we're back uh, talking about some of the things we heard a lot from from people and the feedback, and it's just been extraordinary what's kind of come through from people. And we talked about going inside, what could this actually allow us to do and explore about ourselves. And so, so on this day, we're going to go yes. in. Yes, We're going to talk. We're, we're talking shadow.
1: Yeah.
0: Anything? I'm... Gonna, you, I'm you, you said the poem. You're in it. <laughs> yeah, over to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, my shadow, my shame is around my need for significance. And so fear, selfish fear, um, ego-based fear can be around, am I going to lose my uh, access to this network I've invested in over decades? Am I going to lose my significance? Am I going to lose my importance? Um, and I don't want to look at that because it's not consistent with who I would like to be seen as. I want to be seen as somebody who's free and, of course, never considers those type of things. But it's just not true. Um, and so when I was confronted with the decision to uh, disband quake, um my, my bones did burn and psoriasis came up on the back of my hands. I didn't sleep for six days and I, I lost my appetite. And um, I went through that very early on. And I have to say though, on retrospect, it felt like a purge. It felt like I'm really happy now. I feel like I've done a journey and I've looked at all the worst case and I did the worst thing that I didn't want to do. And I'm okay now. Um, I'm thinking about the future and I I feel like there is nothing haunting me that I have to look at. I kind of considered those things and I feel healthier and freer and it's not that any of those things when I look back were less terrifying or horrific it was just that I've faced them I've looked at them I've seen them for what they are and guess what I still have a pulse my heart's still beating and I still have emotions that are excited about a preferred future how about you Kirsty anything
0: no nothing actually um (laughs) but thanks for sharing (laughs) (laughs) I really, I really appreciate your deep honesty.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, come on, Kirsty, Max, Phil.
0: Thanks for that. Oh, I am terrified of not being needed. I am terrified Hmm. of what feels like rejection for people that I've worked with before. You know, that sort of notion of, non essentiality <laughs> that <laughs> just genuinely pierced my soul. Um and and so I kind of I run a racket then of getting involved in lots of things. You know, I'm like, oh it's yeah. okay. I'm the one. I'm 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 here. I'm here. Yeah I see that. Uh yeah I that te- that rejection terrifies the living Jesus out of me. Um and yeah, I just think that that is something that I've really noticed in myself just now, and 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 so I, I saw it lurking mm-hmm. in week in week one, the lurking in week two. Hi, okay, I see you. I got you. Um, I'm with you. I understand, and um, it felt more expansive. It felt like okay, I can see what you're doing and just having to be, and being a little bit playful with myself and the notion of, of it being there and um, rather than before, it's like, stay outside, you know, we're inside, Mm -hmm. you stay outside. I'm like, okay, come on in. I get, I get it. I get it. And, and that makes a feeling of wholeness for myself. Um, It hasn't been rejected because it was flaring up more. I think when I was, and, um, you know, and the, I was running more of a racket. and uh, So, yeah, I think, yeah, come on in. I hear you. Yeah. was a big process I think I've gone through. And, and still going through. Yeah. Yeah, still going through. And then, um, so what is it? What, you know, <laughs> Jim, tell me. You know, mm-hmm. what is, tell, tell, what is the shadow?
1: So the shadow is... Um kind of popularized by Carl Jung as an archetype and it is represented in this way so I guess John Sanford's my favorite kind of describer of it he says we create an idealized ego image particularly if you're a leader or if you have a brand which is built around who you are or particularly if you're a religious person as well I've noticed I work a lot with the church and What happens is we create this idealized ego image, which is, this is what a good person looks like. This is who I want to be seen as in the world. Um, This is what my favorite uncle did. This is what Mother Teresa did. Or we, we base it on people we admire and we say, this is how I want to present myself and be related to. And it's called your pride position. I take pride in these aspects of myself. But what happens is we're a mixture of shadow and light. We're a mixture of strength and development areas. And and our ego has all of these virtues and vices and and various things in them. And we take large proportion of ourselves when we do that. And the minute we create a pride position, you automatically create a shame position. Because the minute you say, here are the things in my life that I'm okay for people seeing, what you're saying is, and therefore the other stuff isn't. And then those other bits of us, which are important, vital parts of a system of who we are, we ignore them, we shove them down, we neglect them, we feel hatred towards them, um, and we put them in this big sack called the shadow. The difficulty is, is that doesn't kill them. They still have a pulse. They still beat, and they still inform our lives. And so they come back when we are in weakened emotional or ego states, and they can haunt us. And they don't come back in a nice form. They come back in a form of parts of us that have been ill-treated and neglected and unloved. So there are shrieking, accusatory, angry parts of us very often that, that nag away. And um, the job is how do we reintegrate those things back into our lives? Um, uh You have uh, Richard Rohr talking about the two halves of life. You know, it's a Carl Jung kind of notion as well. We spend the first half of our life kind of trying to build this ego container, this thing that we want to be seen as. And then the second half of our life, almost trying to reclaim all those bits of ourselves we let go and become more whole and no longer let the ego run the show. Um, And that's the work. The work is the reintegration, the bringing those things out the sack and into the light the steadily working our way back through reclaiming all our orphans. And we must do it gently and we must do it um, relationally. Um, Marie-Louise von France is probably the one of the greatest prodigies of Carl Jung's camp. And she says that the shadow is like any other human being with whom we must get along. Uh, sometimes you integrate it, sometimes you love it, sometimes even you continue to resist it but what you must never do is ignore it is because when the shadow is ignored or misunderstood, it is then that it becomes hostile. And I think at this time, people are working through shadow activity in themselves. This enforced isolation means that people are having to get those bits of themselves back out and have a look at them. And my advice would be do it gently, do it kindly and just do it bit by bit because and treat it like another human being just steady um and negotiate with it so that eventually you just become increasingly whole. That's that's really what it is. But I mean you've come across shadow work, Kirsty. Like when you're doing shadow work in a, a leadership development um capacity, um how do you recognize it and, and what do you do with it?
0: How long do we have? <laughs> this is, I mean shadow just feels like a let's think about, you know, rackets. That's probably the easiest way of exposing it is through rackets. And I often think of that movie, um, What Every Woman Wants with Mel Gibson, pre the breakdown, um, and just he could listen into what people were thinking, that was what females were thinking. I would love to do that in the boardrooms, <sighs> you know, and just see, because you can see it as we observe it, you can see these people manipulating their environment to keep a complaint in place you yeah. so know you can see this be- I mean it's actually wonderful to watch if it wasn't yeah. so hurtful I mean it's just like <laughs> yeah. wow you do yeah. that and you know they don't want their culture to get the bit be- to to get better because that would demand higher from them wow you know it might have be that they have to raise their standards and there's a there's a vulnerability in the shadow that it would be exposed and we can see you know this war the cold war just suits them better you know and, yeah. and i'm i am seeing a lot more of that just now and just i think this is kind of going like a snowstorm, a snow globe and we've kind of shaken up and all these rackets are ah. just coming down and we can yeah. see it can't we and just it is this is an exposing time for us as individuals and for organizations and you know we've all got our list of the organizations we want to work with now and we want to buy from now we can see it and 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 projection you know there's (laughs) which causes well rackets cause relational difficulties projection causes relational difficulties you know this is um (laughs) was it you was hector projectors (laughs) <laughs> you know there's a, there's a few hectares out there that we've worked with you know those that we we um what, what we don't own in ourselves we project onto others yeah and we think you know that They are wrong. (laughs) They, you know, goodness, why everyone is so annoying. And you, as a person, is known by everyone else in the organization as Angry Man. You know, it's just like, it's like looking through, you know, if I've got my bright yellow top on, if I've got yellow lenses and my glasses all of the time, I will think the world is yellow. It is this, the lenses on our reality are dirty from our projections. You know, they, we just can't see it. And for all of us, we're going, hey guys, this is obvious, but Carl Jung, I mean, I think we'll just, should we just quote from Carl Jung as we go yeah, through I love Carl all Young. of this genius? You know, a man who's unconscious of himself acts in a blind, instinctive way and is in addition fooled by all the illusions that arise when he sees everything that he is not conscious of in himself coming to meet him from outside as projections upon his neighbor.
1: Oh, wow. So this is this idea that if we've got something inside of us we just can't own, we see it in other people. It's almost like that idea of being haunted by demons of our own construction. They're there, they're in us. And because we're not processing or owning it, the minute anybody provokes that in us, we think it's about them.
0: Yeah it's their fault and often you know we work with people and they say well if only they would change you know I might do the work but what if they changed and say well okay how about you you do the work you do the work and you know you can't control what they are like and then we see them at the next session they're like unbelievable it feels like they've just turned a corner. they've turned a corner mm-hmm. they
1: really, have. Yes, yeah, they really right. have they did the work
0: <laughs> they did the work they've got a coach too i'm sure of it um just yeah like, i had
1: a little work with them after our coaching session absolutely the- i
0: just i felt i was there for them um oakley oakley uh, it is just this amazing that you know we find ourselves we do it we give ourselves. I, you know, often we find ourselves giving the same advice over and over again, you know, and it's just like, listen to that. If we as a leader are given the same advice over and over again, I'm going to bet my bottom dollar that that is not only for the people that sit in front of you. It is for you. Listen to what you see. Listen to your language because it's a nudge. Our projections are there in front of us. And I think this is an opportunity. So there's rackets we see and we work with rackets and, and, get people to be aware of their rackets and yes. to own them. You know, that's, there's awareness. Yeah. Okay. I do that. And then there's the owning. Oh, okay. And um, that, that's a jump. So then there's that there's a projection and then there's a the despising virtue. Despising virtue is perhaps the hardest thing to watch. The hardest, you know, is those people who are disgusted or cynical about beautiful things in the world because their personality, their ego structure won't allow them to experience them. You know, if we lie a lot, we just scorn truthfulness in other people. You know, if, if, if empathy wow. doesn't come to us, oh, gosh, you're so soft. Yeah. You're doing all this fluffy stuff again. You know, your, your coachy stuff. You know, and it's, that's, we see this in different personality types, you know, those highly analytical, cognitive, brilliant minds that are on legs, academic people, you know, they despise sensuality. You know, there's the open, vulnerable, beautiful, childlike people that... Really, I'm going to say it out loud because I'm there, disguise the (laughs) strength in others. I often find, you know, if if I'm low-functioning and it's just that someone says, oh, I've done this, I'm like, "Mm, go you. And that's horrible. (laughs) That's horrible. Justin Matt,
1: Well, you heard it here first (laughs) place. Well,
0: no, (laughs) we can edit it out. We can edit it. There's also, there's also
1: something in that, though. Is there something about that? Which builds into something more complex, which is so there's the initial thing, which is, I can't be strong right now, so I resent it in you. Yes. There's also something in the nature of these folks who are open, who are vulnerable, that vulnerability is how they get access to other people. And if somebody is yes. too strong, they think, I can't really get under your skin, I can't really get a relationship yes. with you, and your strength. Is, is then wrong, is evil, is a block. Yeah. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to call it strength anymore. I'm going to call it brittleness or defensive or harsh or something yeah. else. And then they project all that stuff on.
0: Absolutely. I feel like it's uh, someone's just gone into a vortex, you know, oh, you're so strong. And it's just, I. it feels like their doors are shut. And I uh-huh. and I don't have that access. I'm like, I just, yeah, well, okay. Yeah. But there's other people. Um, <laughs> so that? You know, those people we're talking about from a powerful stance—they're strategic, they're dominant. They're you know here I go, I'm rising in my seat again. There's, yeah. that innocence that despise that
1: innocence and in, in they despise people.
0: innocence in others. Yeah, just that sort of you know because they, they that vulnerability that's you know they they don't want to show they don't want to show who they are. They I mean I I know as 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 a coach, this, this, these are the type of people, these characters that are. Sometimes I, you've got to a certain amount of coaching and then you no longer see them again. Yeah, Because they've ex, it's as if they have exposed themselves. It's like, okay, you've done your work, you're out. I used to really struggle with that, but I get it now. I get
1: ah, it Ah, so those leaders where I have employed all my top therapeutic counseling skills <laughs> and they have purged themselves in front of me and then I never hear from them again. Uh-huh. It's kind of like they don't get to be innocent and they don't they're cynical about the notion of that innocent transparency and and therefore and and also potentially they don't really believe in it Mm -hmm. You know they don't really so they think jim's dangerous now he won't be innocent with this material he's dangerous he's got knowledge on me Mm -hmm. you know and therefore i I can't just accept that maybe innocently he will have heard me as a human being uh he'll have categorized it as emotional talk and we're okay it's like a
0: collateral now Mm. Yeah, you know, and those people that are are people that hold us—they hold us. They hold the organization. They're responsible. They're hardworking. They are, they are the workers. Yeah. Um, just despise the freedom. Those people that just seem to flounce about <laughs> as if they have not a care in the world. Oh, look at them! <laughs> look, look at them go
1: you see my face going red during this conversation. Yeah,
0: I just, shall we just move on? This is like I'm feeling, oh, bat think, my, my <laughs> wings have gone up like a shield of steel.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> now I used to work with somebody who was so emotionally free, like we'd be coaching together and during the breaks she would run into a field <laughs> and and move her hands through the wheat and touch it and... I'd be there with a cup of coffee at the window watching her thinking, oh my goodness, like, give me a break. You know, and um, she, she was just, she would, and she was experimental with the groups. She'd be like, oh, you've got this going on, stand up, and we're going to get people to hold your arms up. And I'm like, I am so embarrassed. I am so embarrassed. And I I love her to bits, but I was so embarrassed by it. But I, it's only when I really got clear on this that I resent her emotional freedom because I don't Mm -hmm. have it Mm -hmm. it's like I'm thinking about the program the timings who's on it what their capacity is for cynicism how other people might be despising it and I'm kind of sharing in with that I'm in that place and actually she flows through this beautifully and has a tremendous experience and still great success and I realized the problem is not out there it's not Mm -hmm. with her It's entirely my resentment of her freedom.
0: Yeah, I I can see her and and that, you know, those people who are, that the the F word is not an option to them, you know, they don't talk about failure. It doesn't fit in their mouth. Success, competitiveness, logical, you know, they are, their worst thing is to be rejected. You know, they, they would hate that. And so vulnerability is something that they would despise in other people. It's just because that would, that that for them is just an opportunity to, well, to, to be, sorry, I'm just shivering.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nothing going on there, Kirsty.
0: No, I hate the word, I even hate the word vulnerability. I can't yeah. say it. I can't yeah. say it.
1: Yeah, because it leads to weakness and the possibility of failure.
0: Hell no. No. You know, I mean, I experienced it when I got divorced. I didn't tell anyone for a year. There's no way I couldn't be that person. I, I, I told him but
1: like, I didn't think like... <laughs> that's good. Through a lawyer. Just, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I'm going going for some milk. Um <laughs> but I just <laughs> I that for me to express that vulnerability to express Yeah.
1: No. no Because you equated the end of your marriage to a failure. Rather than the fact marriages just break down. Of course, it's not a failure. It's a a complex emotional relational thing that there was a discovery that it's not working. But rather than that, you just reduced it right down to, I failed at this.
0: 100%. I remember even coaching a client who had gone through divorce and I couldn't say the word. And I said, how long have you been? How long have you been? (laughs) Uh, How long have you been unmarried? (gasps) I could not i mean i've got 68 cousins right it's not in (laughs) this is not in our narrative so this is you know i was the first person in our family to go through this it was not in our story and so this was failure 144 size font bold underlined big stuff that was huge for me it's not easy it's not an easy walk (laughs) but i think here you are
1: but here you are being vulnerable what 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 is shifting in you? I guess we never arrive. But what is your progress that allows you to now say, I felt ashamed of failure. I know that that's illogical. I know that's not a strong way to think. But what is it that's moved you to a place of embracing some of those more traumatic sides of your shadow to actually allow them to be part of you and even to be part of your humour? Kirsty, what's what's been the move?
0: It's respecting it you know, Carleen says 90% of the shadow is pure gold, is to know that it's not to dualize it and to, I think, and to be, like you said, about being kind with it and, you know, not to go at it too hard and, and really, you know, I, we've known both, known people who've gone into shadow work and, and scared themselves and, and caused trauma. Um, yeah. It was it was a slow process. It was a little bit at a time. You know, I said I didn't say to anyone for a year. It was biting off a little bit, seeing if I could chew some of it. But doing it in a good state, holding myself, yes. um, embracing it, and it's just a little bit of, you know, recognising that, you know, there is resistance there, but it's it's that whatever you resist process, I, I got to the point where it was acceptance of, this is who I am. And I don't want to repress it anymore. Yeah. I want to say, hey, it's okay. I it is it's it's all right.
1: All of me you gets know? to show up.
0: You yeah, here is all of me, and it's broken and it's fragmented and it's it uses humor well, but has a massive defence mechanism. Sure. Um but definitely this hey, this is who I am. And, and it's all right.
1: Aye, just like everybody else.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, everyone, so there's my co-transition for the
1: day. <laughs> Thanks, Kirsty. Um, <laughs> because it isn't easy, I think, particularly for powerful leaders. You know, when we look at what's emerging in leadership with us, mm-hmm. what are we going to expect from our leaders? It's not necessarily that they all have to get to that place of total Vulnerability or transparency—I mean, or with everyone. But I think maybe they just need to notice that they have actually created a lot of idealized ego image in themselves. You know, you—you you get to a certain place in organizations where you get promoted based on affiliation rather than merit, and so you've learned how to politicize. Um, you've learned how to play the game. You've adapted your character to the power rules. And so these people are deeply, deeply invested in their idealized ego image. And they are not motivated one iota to go digging around in all the parts of them that they left behind in order to nurture that part of them. Mm. And that's the wholeness work. And I wonder if that's the work that um, new systems might be requiring from us.
0: Because it, it's changing, isn't it? You know, it feels like there's, we need a different kind of, a leader for the new cultures that are emerging. You know, we need different conversations. We need to acclimatise our egos to it. Those, actually, some of those egos, structures, those stances, those defence mechanisms are not required for right now. You no. know, it's about, you know, let's, let's share, let's be responsible together. Let's inclusion and, you know, we had a diversity inclusion agenda, bring it. Mm -hmm. This is the time for inclusion. This is a time for tougher dialogue. We've heard a lot from people about straight talk and all the feedback that we're getting through. This is, there's just a myriad of conversations, a spectrum of conversations that could exist before us that I don't think we've been tapping into. I have been delighted in hearing the conversations that are coming through. And this is a time, and here at People, and there's definitely some personality types, this is a time for complete transparency. You know this might be a time where organizations are not going to look for singularly ambitious commercially obsessed leaders you know because not all of those organizations are actually going to survive this
1: wow and you know there's the kind of this, there's the stick you know which is you know we're maybe going to have to get into that or we're going to get ourselves into scrapes again. Mm-hmm. But there's also the carrot, which is it's just worth going for. Mm-hmm. Like anytime you've done any deep work on yourself, like I I've noticed that when we're running three-day events and we come to the shadow piece or we come to the the bit where we're going to discuss rackets or what's going on inside of you that you wished wasn't. And we always give people lots of choice, you know, we don't drag them through their stuff. But those who put a toe in the water and decide to go for mm-hmm. it. I always notice on the backside of it, they're right up for a laugh, for fun, they're lighter, there's a humor, but also other areas of their life open up into new vistas, into uh, different fields that they can explore in. And um, I think that it returns us back to a whole sense, a bit more of who we really are, And I think it opens up a a space, one of the areas in a very practical physical sense. I was working with a leader uh, in the last two or three months and he was entirely cognitive and his career and books and various things are all based on being in his head and, and how well he thinks things through. And as he was brave enough to talk about something that was going on for him. I took him into his body and I asked him to describe his body sensations as he was going through it. And it was like a whole new world opened up for him. It was like, wow. And it took him about three minutes to complete on what he'd been wrestling with for weeks. And suddenly he just completed it. And that was a whole new field that opened up to him just by being prepared to confront some of his shadow he realized that his body could actually do quite a lot of the work for him and that that little 10 cent computer behind the eyes didn't have to do all the work and I think that we're going to have to walk in new fields as a business world and as a a commercial world and as a market we're going to have to actually look at new ways of doing things we need leaders who have that level of flexibility and willingness to walk into those new spaces and actually tackling their own shadow first could well be the gateway
0: yeah i mean we say a lot that the greatest leaders you'll ever work with are those with a level of self-awareness and i think these people are going to be are, are, we need strength now and on the other side of this. And it's going to be the leaders that do this work. It's going to be the leaders that, and because I think there's a lack of tolerance now, you know, these new cultures, we're going to sniff it out. <laughs> we're going to say, hey, we see you. You don't see yourself, but we see you. And, yeah. and so if people are quicker to go with our shadow um, and be honest with themselves and be honest with other people, I, I think they're, they're the people that, this is a calling for them, you know, but, and actually, is there a problem? Because you know, we the shadow's good, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the shadow's good. We just and and actually, sure. If we think about you know individually, if we work on this, surely it's the stuff in our collective shadow, in our collective shadows that we need to change the system for the better. You know, it's all that stuff that we haven't embraced because you know, of our culture, but actually maybe that's what's going to change the culture. We need collectively, we need collectively to do the shadow work.
1: Yeah, that's just logical, isn't it? If we've got a culture based on a denial of certain aspects of our shadow, the solution to that culture exists in the shadow. Mm -hmm. That's where it needs to be. And it starts with the individual though. So it starts with, during this time, how do you examine yourself kindly and with a sense of humour? I just It was beautiful how you talked a little bit about your divorce, Kirsty, and, and just a mixture of pain and a mixture of humour. And how do we just step by step by step start to do that work in ourselves, find a new language, a new freedom. And you don't have to go to all the dark places. You don't have to deal with all the worst of yourself but choose some things, pull a little bit at the thread, get five or 10% along the journey. And my first bit of advice would be stop blaming everything else round about you for what's causing you difficulty, including the crisis. Stop blaming it, stop pointing the finger at our political leaders and policies and systems. The first step to becoming whole as a leader one who's joined up that's not got it all repressed or hidden is to get your eyes off everyone else and start doing the work on yourself our good friend Carl Jung says if you want to make a real difference to the collective shadow in the world the best thing that you can do is remove your own contribution from it
0: at the top of the tallest building in the world sat the saddest man in the world and inside the man was the loneliest heart in the world and inside the heart was the deepest pit in the world and at the bottom of the pit was the blackest mud in the world and in the mud lay the lightest loveliest tenderest most beautiful happy angel in the universe michael Lunick.